BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We will pour one out for Unique Ngakwe and Leonard Fournette, no longer members of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome inside another episode of the Gen Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by my co-host, Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, what is up, my man? My head is absolutely spinning. Spinning. I mean, the Ngakwe trade... You want to say it came out of nowhere. We knew there was something was going to happen. That's not, you know, anything huge. Um, I think they got the best that they could out of the situation. But, man, the news today out of the locker room absolutely had my face in my palm. I have no clue how I feel. It's just absolutely head spinning. Thoughts are spinning. Everything's just going left and right. I mean, I, I'm speechless, honestly, almost at this point. Yeah, well, hopefully we can kind of channel that energy and uh, just kind of get through it, just like the rest of the fans are getting through it. Uh, Obviously, we cover the team, but I'm also a big fan of the team. There's no secret about that. I know you are, too. So, yeah, this will be a a fun episode, I guess you can say. I'll definitely be drinking a couple beverages. So if you hear a a, a pop top, that's what that is uh, going on. And it's not going to be a Coca-Cola. I can assure you of that. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure to follow myself at Jordan DeLugo on Twitter. You can follow Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag on Twitter. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out, helps other Jags fans find us. Uh, If you hear any thunder in the background, that's just uh, the Duval football gods uh, kind of cursing this day. They're not happy either, and I, I, I can understand why. <laughs> Apparently not. But uh, make sure also check out ginjag.com for all the latest news and analysis. We've also got a ton of fun Duval merch. Just drop the Space Kitty tee. That's a fun one. Go check it out. Again, that's ginjag.com. Jeremy, let's go ahead and get into it. On Sunday, yesterday, 
The Jaguars traded Unique Ngakwe to the Vikings for a 2021 second round pick and a conditional 2022 fifth round pick that could turn into a fourth round pick if Unique makes the Pro Bowl and a third round pick if he makes the Pro Bowl and the Vikings win it all and take home a Lombardi trophy. Following that, and of course that released at like 6.30 on Sunday morning, Jaguars did the same thing again today, a little bit later in the day. I think it was about 7 in the morning. Uh, the Jaguars followed it up by waving Leonard Fournette. Doug Marone said the team tried to trade Fournette but could not get anything in return for him, which to me explains the timing just a little bit. You know, they're trying to get something for him before the season starts. But uh, I just want to kind of kick it over to you, Jeremy. Lay it on me. What are your thoughts? A lot of big moves here. Man, where do I begin? So we'll start with Yannick. I mean, it just uh, – the end of another – Botched saga, you know, for Dave Caldwell. And I tweeted about this on Sunday. Something that has been the only saving grace for this front office has been Caldwell's ability to find great talent in the second and third round of the NFL draft, but we cannot retain any of it. And I mean, it just, it's, it's a vicious cycle at this point. We pay the wrong people. Uh, we miss on draft picks. And, you know, you can't keep the ones that you do hit on. And it's becoming very, very frustrating. Like I said earlier, not only do we cover the team, but we are fans. We are lifelong fans. And you want to see your team win. And we've only tasted that so few times in the team's history. It's starting to get a little old. Um, The situation with Ngakwe was, it was, it was, you cannot repair that situation. It was irreparable. We knew that. We knew that he was going to most likely not be in a Jaguars uniform, whether that be him standing on the sideline, watching the games from home, um, you know, or just simply wearing another team's uniform. We knew that was coming. I mean, I think it was poorly handled by both sides, mostly on Ngakwe's side. I will admit that. Um, I think for the Jaguars at this point, you missed the window to get a high-end draft pick for him. I don't think it was all their fault, um, you know, with COVID and everything going on. You know, there's too much up in the air. Um, so at this point in the game, they probably got the best thing they could get for him. I think it became abundantly clear through recent conversations between Caldwell and Ngakwe's new age and that, look, you know, the dialogue's open, but things really haven't changed that much. And it must have become very evident that he was not playing no matter what. Um, so... He must have really wanted out to forego that salary, Um, you know. And so I I guess I understand the situation. It's all business and, you know, but it it just is the end of another botched draft pick and situation by this front office. And, you know, they roll over to today and, and, you know, we cut Fournette. And again, my head immediately starts spinning. Why now? What's the thought process behind this move now? And I don't really have an answer yet. I have a lot of theories and, and a lot of you know things that are going through my head, but I think it all goes back to the draft. You know that report came out that the Jaguars were trying to move Fournette. I believe the uh, most likely suitor was the Bucks at the time, and that kind of fell through. But I think that really sounded off to the rest of the league that hey, this guy right here is not in their future plans. So I think the team probably knew they were going to part ways before the season for a while. Um, I think the failed trade attempt during the draft really kind of put him in a bad position, though, because you kind of want to look back to Cam Newton 
is really the thing I can relate to most in this situation. Everyone knew his time was up in Carolina. That was evident. That was clear. No one's going to make a move for a quarterback that they know is just going to get cut. So same thing. If you're trying to make another late push for Fournette here, you know that that already failed once. And I think it's became very evident to teams that he was just not a part of our plans. So why would you make a move, you know, for a back that you know is just going to get cut? Now I am surprised, you know, that 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 wave did not become official until 4 p.m. today. I am surprised there were no last-minute conditional seventh-round picks sent over something for a team who's going to jump on this back. Because let's be very clear. There is not a chance in hell he makes it past waivers. I mean, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that, but I'm surprised you didn't see a team jump out and offer a late seventh round pick for the you know to the to the team, to the Jags, to avoid that issue of somebody above them on waivers scooping him up. So that either A speaks to his reputation across the league in locker rooms and teams are not necessarily wanting to touch that, or B, most of the NFL thinks they're in a good enough spot to where, hey, if he doesn't fall to us we're okay. But I look at some teams that I can you know, definitely see him making an impact on. So I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, but there's a lot to take in here and I'm sure we're going to get into it here. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. I'm sure we're going to be discussing this for the majority of this podcast and I have some points to make as well. But I mean, just all around, it's just a wild scenario. Two weeks before the start of the season, now you're down your number one running back. It, it just, it, it baffles me. The timing of it is really what baffles me. Um, you know, and I, I just don't think the team got any better, um, and, they, and they didn't say the same. I think if you're ever going to cut a guy, especially in this situation, I know the situation is a little bit different with Fournette because that's a number four overall pick. Number four. We're not talking, you know, a guy in the late first round who eh, has shown some signs. That's a number four overall pick, and you got to go back and look at every player that you took him over, and you definitely missed. But, you know, it, it just the timing seems awful. Everything just seems to be crashing down. And, you know, I'll say it. I think the Jags, no matter what they want to say, are in full tank for Trevor mode. <laughs> well, that certainly is a bold statement. You're also certainly not the only one uh, that believes that, <clears throat> although you may be the only one on this podcast that believes that. But uh, when it comes to Unique Ngakwe, like you said, it didn't ever really seem like he was ever going to suit up for the Jaguars in 2020. So. For me, getting what I believe is a high-quality draft capital when you're talking about a second-round pick and you know a fifth-rounder that could potentially turn into a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick, and I think it's very easily – it could very easily get to a fourth-round pick. I mean, Ngakwe's just got to ball out and make the Pro Bowl. I don't think that's that big of an ask for a guy that's going to a talented defense. Uh, so I think it could very easily turn into a fourth-round pick fifth round pick at worst, nothing wrong with that. So I like what they got in return for Ngakwe, even though some people are probably out there like, well, the Jaguars were wanting a a first round pick. I don't think that was ever going to happen. I really don't. Ngakwe is a very talented player, but to be honest, the sack totals are not where they could be. Uh, 37 and a half in four years. He's only eclipsed, or eclipsed 10 sacks in one season. However, he makes game-changing plays. There's no question about it. He's a very good player. Still, he's a guy, I think, getting a second-rounder and a fifth-rounder with the potential for more is okay in terms of getting that back for him, considering he was not going to suit up for you anyways. What do you think about the compensation there? The compensation, I think, 
like I said, you know, a little bit earlier, is the best they could have gotten in this scenario as it stands right now. It's become very evident, very clear. He's not going to play. Teams would be taking a huge risk to really uh, throw anything else more than what they did at the Jaguars for a player who probably won't get anything on tape this upcoming season. Um, so I think they learned a lot from the Lev Bell situation. Um, you know, take what they can get now. They missed the window, I, I do believe, like I said, to get the best, the best possible value. But it's decent value nonetheless. I won't go ahead and say it's great value. Um, the picks are a little bit spread out. It gives you, obviously, a chance to recoup some of that lost locker room value um, with that second round pick. And I do agree with you. I think Ngakwe has a very good chance of uh, becoming a pro bowler in Minnesota and uh, that, you know, that pick, you know, conditionally moving up to a fourth to get it all to a third. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but Hey, I'm the biggest Vikings fan. You'll see then from here on out, um, you know, just as much as I want to see the Rams suck this year, I want to see the Vikings win the Super Bowl so we can get, you know, the best picks we possibly can. But I mean, if we're really facing the reality of things here, it's going to be a whole new regime. Everything's going to change again. You know, I think, We'll get into that a little bit later with the outlook, you know, for, for the season here is that obviously is now completely changed and completely updated. Uh, but for the future, you know, the team is, is stocking up on draft picks and that's what they want to do. And that's what they did. So um, if you look at it from that perspective, you can't say they really lost by any means, um, you know, and really getting anything for them, you know, at, at the, ultimately at the end uh, is better than getting nothing at all for a player who will never suit up for you again. Right. And uh, I do think, the COVID situation potentially made it a little bit more difficult to get a trade done earlier. Like we would have liked and perhaps could have led to a, a, a better, um, a better haul in exchange for Ngakwe. But I do think it's good value. And I think that uh, a second round pick obviously is nothing to scoff at. Now getting into four net, this is not a move that helps the Jaguars this year, but to me, it's not that big of a deal. It just highlights to me the dysfunction that has been present in the locker room for a long time. The one thing I will say about Fournette's game is that he doesn't play that well in space compared to a lot of guys around the league. And that's what I think Gruden and Marone are looking for. So I do think if you're talking about it from specifically a on-the-field perspective, I think that's what you can look at and kind of understand where they're coming from. I do really like Ozigbo and Armstead and even James Robinson, who has been a, a rookie that's looked good in camp. Uh, Chris Thompson, he's been fantastic as a receiver, you know, in the past with Jay Gruden and in camp, and he's been looking good lining up out of the backfield uh, out wide as well. They are all better than Fournette when it comes to short area quickness and vision. Still, there's no way you can tell me Fournette was not the best player in that backfield. I mean, he outproduced his expected rushing yards per attempt by almost half a yard per carry last year based on what the offensive line was doing. And he was among the league leaders in yards after contact. He's an excellent pass blocker, has strong hands, uh, and ultimately Mark Long has repeatedly, who Mark Long covers the Jaguars for AP, repeatedly insisted that the coaching staff hasn't wanted Fournette around, and they finally got their wish, according to Long. And this really is the first time 
and me and you kind of texted about this earlier. This is the first time that I really have not believed what Doug Marone was telling me. How can you honestly say Fournette wasn't one of the top runners on the team? Does that make me think that the Jaguars are tanking, though? No, it doesn't. I don't think they're taking tanking for Trevor. It makes me think the coaches were sick and tired of Fournette and wanted him gone. It makes me think that Fournette wasn't going to dominate the touches like he has been in recent years and that they just didn't want to deal with a potential headache with him being upset that uh, his workload has been decreased in a contract year. But this coaching staff and this front office, they better hope that those cats that I mentioned, Azigbo, Armstead, Robinson, Thompson, they better hope they stay healthy. Yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. There's a lot of things that, you know, comes to mind with all of this. The first being that, you know, he is not that much different than what they have in the back room. And that's what I heard today uh, through media as well. And that's something that really kind of puzzles me because, you know, at this point, I just think not only does the front office seem to be trying to fool the fans, but it seems like they're trying to fool the media. And as a media member, you know, you can't be on 1010XL or, you know, some of the local media and you can't be bashing, you know, and completely just going you know, head first against everything that the team is saying. But well, it seems like interject for a second. Yeah. I do believe Mike Dempsey and uh Tony Smith on Jaguars today, they did both go in after the team for this one. And they basically called BS on Doug Marone's comments as well. So and that's a team sponsored show. Uh so I do, I, I do commend them for doing that. Right, right. And that's great. I I missed that, you know, this afternoon. Uh, But I did hear a lot of, you know, people trying to defend the move, Um, you know, more so this afternoon, you know, with the Frank Frangie. So I heard a lot of, oh, well, you know, people are saying that he just really isn't that special of a guy. You know, he really isn't that special of a back. Okay, maybe he's not, you know, what you want to say, quote unquote, that special of a back, but you took him fourth overall. So if you didn't think he was that special of a back, why'd you take him fourth overall? So there's, you know, there's just some mis- either miscommunication or he didn't pan out, but it, it looks like they are trying to cover up what is just a mess of a situation. And I think it, it's not just on the player because, yes, was Fournette maybe a headache? I'm sure he was. But I think there's a lot of things, you know, in the backdrop that we don't see that probably contributes, you know, to everything going on. And maybe they just needed to turn the, the whole thing around. But that's on the franchise. If they're imploding because, you know, if this is leftover, you know, wake from the Tom Coughlin era where we saw, you know, two stars are now out of the team for being dishappy. That's something that you as a franchise need to say, okay, the people in charge are not making the right decisions, not making players happy, not doing things that are keeping the locker room not only in check, but happy. It's a different league now. Players have a lot more of their own voice. You know, and we see that a lot more. We just saw with Jamal Adams. We saw firsthand with Jalen Ramsey. Players are able to make their own way in this league now. So you've got to have people who are a better job at controlling that. Um, You know, and I just see a lot of, you know, arguments that are just bouncing off each other. Like I said, the skill set on the field, he's still going to be, like you said, the best probably all around running back in that locker room. And you want to say, oh, well, not you, obviously. I'm not coming at you. But people want to say, oh, well, you know, this is going to be a, a more of a pass-happy offense. I get that. 
Chris Thompson's probably going to be your premier pass catching back, but let's not forget Fournette did catch 70 balls last year. And, you know, while he may not have had the eye popping numbers, they were serviceable and decent numbers. So you can find a role for him in that offense. And, you know, Rock Armstead might be their new power guy, and that's fine. That's what they said. Oh, they like what they're seeing out of him, but we're not tackling in practice. We didn't see that much last year that, you know, would make this move make sense in my eyes. If Rock Armstead came out last year and had, you know, crazy breakout performances, okay. But you're right. Fournette's not going to be a guy who is going to dance around the backfield, make his own holes. He's a one-cut downhill power running back. And that's what you know you're getting out of him. And they may that may not fit the scheme as well this year as it has in the past. But again, if you're going to make a move like this, the team needs to get better or at the very worst stay the same. And I think the team as a whole got worse. And this just was not a solid move at all. Yeah, I agree that they got worse. My one thing is I, I don't think they got that much worse. Like I've said, I, I, I think Fournette is a – above average starting running back but that does that's not saying a whole lot honestly it's really not and like we you know we mentioned here with the scheme I really don't think he fits the scheme I think that these guys do have better vision and short area quickness uh, as evidenced by you know their tape and their uh, combine and pro day numbers because uh Aside from Chris Thompson, there is very little experience, like you said, which is a concern to me. Uh, Azigmo and Armstead have combined for 44 career carries. Um, and the craziest thing about the whole thing to me is that Armstead hasn't even barely participated in training camp. This is a guy that was on the COVID list, and now he's been dealing with an other, another illness that is unrelated to COVID. And uh, you're banking on him, Armstead, who hasn't really been in training camp all that much, Azigbo, who has even less experience than Armstead, and Chris Thompson, who has been injury-prone his whole career, and then two undrafted running backs. I mean, that really is saying quite a lot. And to me, it's not saying that Fournette isn't good enough. It's saying we're sick of having Fournette here and we couldn't find a trade partner. That might be the case. They're not coming out and saying that. And I think they're digging their own hole because the more that you and I, you know, you said earlier that you think this is the first time that Doug is lying. And I can see that I've always, you know, taken this front office to be truthful and everything. But now I'm sitting here looking at it and I'm like, you know, maybe they haven't been for a while now and we're just eating it up because you always want to see the best and you want to believe, you know, that this front office is making all of the right decisions. You know, obviously as a fan, you want to believe that. But now I'm looking back and, you know, well, oh, this was planned. This turnover was planned. This turnover was planned in, in, in 2017 when you're in the AFC championship. And in 2018, when you put a billboard up in the city with your five key players who are all, you know, besides one, relatively young, you know, besides KLAS Campbell, you know, I would say that, that that core was relatively young and all five are gone within a span of two years. So I think you see everything crumbling down and, you know, there's no way to stop it. And they just want to let us, you know, tell us that, that, you know, that's not what's happening, but I'm hard pressed to believe that it's not. Um, and I think it speaks a lot of volume to the coaching staff that you're consistently having these players with these kind of issues. You don't see this with, you know, players in new England, green Bay, stuff like that. You know, if, if you can win winning fixes a lot of things, 
and this team cannot find a way to win, and they can't find a way to build good camaraderie in the locker room, and it's becoming apparent. I remember a couple years ago we had the issue with, you know, the narrative being, you know, free agents don't want to go to Jacksonville. And then it all kind of flipped, and then it was like, well, now free agents do want to come to Jacksonville. And I feel like, again, you know, with the grievances that have been filed against the team and just everything that's going on, I feel like you're going to be hard-pressed to find players that want to play here. And I don't know if it's a big-picture thing coming out. I don't want to get into anything else, um, you know, in regards to all the other big rumors that are out there. If you know what I'm getting at, some of you may, some of you may not. Um I just, I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe anything that's coming out of the mouth of anybody representing this organization right now. It's very, very, very frustrating. Yeah. And like I said, I do think Doug Marone has been pretty honest with the media during his entire time here, but I'll, I've said it many times, Dave Caldwell, I, I call him deceptive Dave Caldwell. He is very deceptive. He's done this for years uh, and I'm not blaming him for that. I think that's part of the game. Part of being a GM is kind of, you know, trying to pull one over on your the rest of the GMs around the league to a certain extent. But he's been very deceptive, in my opinion, for a long time. Um, but you mentioned a lot of this dysfunction. I kind of want to get on a soapbox here a little bit and talk about what I think all of this stems from. And uh, I'll go ahead and do that here. I tweeted about it earlier in the day, but I just want to reiterate it because I want people to understand what I'm seeing and what I think is going on here. I don't think anyone would be mad at Dave Caldwell right now if Tom Coughlin had not come in and alienated Unique Ngakwe and Jalen Ramsey, and that is absolutely what happened. If Coughlin was not so stingy with the A-Rob negotiations, if Coughlin had not insisted on drafting Leonard Fournette, which is what happened, What's happening right now with all of these good young players leaving is directly linked back to Tom Coughlin, each one of these situations. And that's why he isn't employed by the Jaguars right now. And over the last two seasons, and a little bit uh, more than that, if you want to look back into the 2018 draft, Caldwell has been bringing in a lot of quality talent in these draft classes. These last two draft classes have been home runs. Um However, on the opposite side of that coin, as I'm defending Dave Caldwell's actions over the last two years, he should not have a job. He should have been fired before Coughlin ever got to Jacksonville. He should have left with Gus Bradley after they combined to win 14 games together in nearly 14 and excuse me, in nearly four seasons. 14 wins in four seasons is not enough. He should have never been kept after that. But it's okay to understand and realize that Dave Caldwell has gotten significantly better as a GM over the last couple of seasons, while also admitting he does not deserve to have his job anymore. I faulted him for drafting 12 players in the draft this year instead of trading some of those picks up to move up and get better values. But as it turns out, all these guys look like they can play. I faulted him for not adding more talent at defensive end this year. But, you know, if Dewan Smoot, who's looked really good, and Caleb Von Chason, who we know has all the talent in the world, if they play well opposite Josh Allen, that won't matter either. The Jaguars have a talented young nucleus right now, and if you can't see that, you're just blind. Um, that kind of leads me into my 2020 expectations, which we will talk about after you can kind of uh, rebuttal to what I have to say about Caldwell. There's... 
Not really, I would say, any rebuttal. I do see where you're coming from. I have to agree in regards to what Tom Coughlin did to this franchise. A lot of it does stem back to him, at least the most recent troubles. But you're right. Dave Caldwell should have been canned with that regime, should not have made it this far. You know, but I don't think bringing in Tom Coughlin was the wrong move. It just didn't work out. It, it, it was ugly. It really was. But I don't think you can look back on it and, and fault the move at the time. Um, and I think Dave Caldwell got better. And if you want to, you know, it depends on where you want to put the responsibility for that. If you want to put it on Dave's shoulders or Tom's shoulders. But in the same way that you're blaming a lot of this stuff on Tom, you could probably say that Dave probably got better at drafting because of Tom. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but it's speculation. Because if you want to look back to some of Dave Caldwell's early drafts, they were not great. He they were not horrendous. Great. They were horrendous. He didn't look like he had an eye for evaluating talent. So in the same way, you know, Coughlin comes in, looks like the draft class has got a big upgrade. They're getting better. We're getting players. Like I said, now you're seeing the second, third round players contributing and becoming better. There's a pop top. I like that sound. There we uh, go. But you see these players coming in and be, they're, they're contributing factors on the team thing. You know, things are clicking and hitting. And if you want to say that Tom was the deciding factor in the four net draft pick, he probably was, but I mean, really that didn't turn out too poorly. And I think we're seeing, oh, I, I mean, I think everybody would disagree with you there. I, I, I don't think it was the wrong. I, I originally, I thought maybe not a great pick. Obviously, if you want to look back and say all these players they missed on, yes. But talking about in the grand scheme of things, you know, we were a year later in the AFC Championship. I really liked the complimentary pick of Cam Robinson. You know, it came well with the team that we had. And we buckled down on that. We paid the wrong person. You know, we made decisions based off the quarterback that we had. Immediate impacts were not poor. And I think we scrambled and made the wrong decisions in how we were going to fix the crumbling castle around us. And it just all came downhill. I, you know, I don't know why when you have the players that you have on this team, I guess this year is really an anomaly because Fournette's obviously he was not part of the plans. He was on his way out the door. But if you didn't know that at the time, why are you bringing in Jay Gruden? Now I was excited for Jay Gruden, but if you already know that half the, you know, some of these players that we have on the team, some of our players we have a lot invested in would not fit that scheme. And you're going to be on the outside already. It, it just makes things a little ugly. And now, you know, not only are we changing to a completely different scheme, you know, we're doing it with, I don't necessarily think the best group of players. I know the Fournette would not fit that scheme perfectly, but he's still a better player. Um, so I guess that kind of goes to say with that, but, Again, kind of the main point of this is being is that Tom may have hindered Dave's ability to retain some of these players and keep some of these players and keep the locker room happy. But I think he also had a positive impact, um, you know, on getting some of that talent uh, in Jacksonville. Um, and I think it's a whole picture thing where, you know, if you have the wrong guys, if you have guys making the right decision, but not carrying it through, you know, not carrying through and, and messing everything up, coughing from the top should have never had that much control. And that's an organizational thing. That's an organizational problem. And there's so many things wrong in the situation that you really can't pinpoint one. Um, but it goes both ways. I think just top to bottom, it's a mess. I think you're right. The talent acquisition 
was not an issue under Tom Coughlin outside of Leonard Fournette pick, which obviously you can debate the merits of that. He's not worth worthy of a top four selection. And you passed on Pat Mahomes and you passed on Deshaun Watson. Obviously we all know that, but overall they did acquire good talent. The problem is you can directly say Jalen Ramsey is not here because of Tom Coughlin. You can directly say Yannick Ngakwe is not here because of Tom Coughlin. He is the one who severed those relationships. There's no question about it in my mind. Absolutely. You know, you're 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 100% right. But that should that situation should have never even had a chance to rear its ugly head because now you're looking we're you know we're, we're looking back here Coughlin should have never had that much power. It all stems but that decision was given as well, you know, for him to have, if you want to be the, the president of football operations, you know, that's fine. You're making roster moves. That's fine. Tom Coffin was a old school coach that was not going to mesh with this roster. Something that should have been very, very evident and should have been, you know, looked at by ownership and a line should have been drawn. And, you know, back to the to the Fournette thing. You're right. At four, at number four overall, that wasn't the right pick. But if you're going to make that pick, you better go all in with it and do everything you can to make sure that you can make it the right pick. And I think every move after that didn't help that factor. You missed on Mahomes. You missed on Watson. You missed on some of these guys who are obviously, you know, looking back now should have been the better pick. But if Fournette, you know, ends up being a top five back in the NFL every year. Yeah, did you miss? Yeah, and, and Pat Mahomes is a generational player, but you know the Jags aren't the only team that miss. A lot of people miss, uh, you know, scouted on that guy. So looking back at that, is it the scouting department? Did did the, did everybody just miss? I agree that wasn't the right pick at the time. And looking back on it now, it's even worse. But if you're going to make that pick, you have to make the most of it, uh, or at least try. And and even then, I don't think we even got that far. Yeah. One more comment on the. Uh... That draft, I mean, could you imagine Jay Gruden getting to play around with Christian McCaffrey? That would be a lot of fun. Oh, man, I, anything. You know, it really almost, if we're looking at it now from this perspective, could you imagine even Pat Mahomes in a vertical Jay Gruden offense? Obviously, he's doing great with Andy Reid, but there are a lot of players, Kamara, you know, some of these guys, that would be an absolute dream in this scheme. But, you know, they obviously weren't planning that far ahead. Uh, in that regards, but I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's definitely just like a slap in the face. Yeah. That running back class was something else. You had Dalvin cook, um, Alvin Kamara, as you mentioned, Kareem hunt, Austin Eckler went undrafted for Christ's sake. Yeah. It was an um, absolute, if you look at it now Fournette might be at the bottom of that list, the very yeah. bottom of that list with everyone that was taken after him. And like I said, Eckler, even undrafted, he might be at the bottom of that list. Yeah, it's mind-numbing, honestly. It's pretty crazy to think about. And I'll admit, I wasn't mad about the pick at the time. Like, you know, this is a guy, we're we're a run-first team. He comes in, uh, he's got insane uh, track speed. He's super powerful. You give him a hole, and he's going to just take it the distance, as he proved quite a bit during his rookie year. But obviously things have deteriorated since then, and it just didn't quite work out. 
But that kind of moves us into our 2020 expectations. We've talked about expectations kind of a lot already on the show in the last few episodes, but things have changed since then. So we need to talk about what our expectations are now. And uh, at the end of my little soapbox speech, I talked about how the Jaguars have a talented young nucleus. The problem with that is that the Jaguars are going to have over 40% of their roster likely being made up of first and second year players. That is not a recipe for a playoff run. That is not a recipe for a coach who has lost uh, or who's had losing seasons in two straight years and a GM who only has one winning season and seven seasons as the general manager. That is not a recipe to make the playoffs in 2020. It's just not. It's not at all, and I want to and I want to preface this, um, you know, with just clarifying some things here real quick, and then I'll be moving on with it. But you know, I I'm definitely bashing Fournette. I know it sounds like that, but at the same time, I'm bashing the move. So I just want people to understand very clearly that I'm not bashing the move because I think Leonard Fournette is this end all be all running back. I'm bashing Leonard Fournette because of the entire the the, the move because of the entire situation and. You know, it with everything given, that was a the, the worst choice to make. Um, so I just want to clarify that for everybody who may be listening, thinking, well, hey, man, this guy, you know, is, is sounding like he's all over the place here. We're talking about strictly the move. Everything else, you know, is, is, is a completely different story and a different topic for a different day. But that move was the wrong move. And it leads into the outlook of this year, how one player can such drastically change the outlook for this team. And I really do think, you know, as much as you want to say, well, Leonard might not be that great. He was going to be a key part of this offense. You know, we are going to make that transition into Jade Gruden's offense, but it's all about making Gardner Minshew comfortable. Cause let's be real. The, this season was riding on him. Regardless, his career is riding on this season. This franchise's outlook this regime's outlook, this core's outlook is riding on Gardner Minshew this season. So I think the number one thing is putting him in a position to win. And Fournette's touches may have decreased. Everything, you know, his usage may have decreased. But the outlook on this team is so much more grim now because it's all on a sixth round, second year quarterback who showed a lot of promise last year. Don't get me wrong, but can he do it all by himself? Can he do it now with virtually what seems to be a non-existent run game until I'm proven otherwise? Because we haven't seen these players on this roster in this group prove that they could be a premier back. You know, you're you're gonna have to replace some big numbers. Chris Thompson's gonna be your go-to pass catching guy, but that's not a premier back. He's not a premier rusher. When you get into situations where you need a true running back, we don't have a guy right now. Not one that has shown us we do. Now, if somebody comes along and proves me wrong, so be it, please. Fantastic, because Minshew is going to need some of the load off of his shoulders. I don't think we have enough skill to get the ball. You want to get the ball in your best athlete's hands, but I don't think we have enough skill to be, you know, running screens, you know, dink routes. Let's get the ball in Chark's hand, just have him, you know, make a play. I don't think we're a team that you can just give a ball to a guy and make a play. There's so much more that goes into that. So uh, you know, it's it's going to be a lot of vertical down the field stuff, and that relies a lot on your quarterback making the right reads, making the right decisions, making the best throws, and those have all been you know things that have been knocks on Minshew in the past. I feel like they're just going to be uh, you know 
under a much bigger microscope, and they're going to be exemplified this year with the fact that he's not going to have you know a running back there that he can lean on. Teams don't have to stack the box for Chris Thompson. Teams don't have to stack the box for a Zigbo or Ryquel Armstead. Not yet, at least. Again, prove me wrong, please. But you're going to see teams play this offense a lot differently now. And, I, you know, I don't know how he's going to handle that. You know, teams are going to mostly, you know, not have to be super, super concerned about our running game anymore. And so, you know, now can... Minshew go out there and shred defenses and make them completely concerned about him only. And maybe we can pass first and run off that. I don't know, but it just totally throws everything that, you know, for this offense up in the air um, and, and really narrows it down onto now one singular person. Is he going to be able to command this offense with no running game behind him whatsoever at this point? It's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough and it remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a reach to say that the Jaguars are expecting to have no running game. I think there will be a running game. Who knows how good it will be? It's not like Leonard Fournette was a world beater in terms of rushing the ball the last three years, or really the last two years, I should say. I mean, I think 4.3 yards per carry is repeatable, especially if the offensive line is playing at a higher level, which they look to be so far. Of course, it's just training camp. But... uh I might be out there on a ledge by myself right now, but I still don't think this Jaguars team is tanking. I'm not being overly optimistic here, but I love the Jaguars receivers, including Eifert and O'Shaughnessy at tight end. Like I said, I do think the O-line is better, especially in a Gruden scheme that gets the ball out quicker and has uh, offensive linemen not having to hold their blocks quite so much. I think the running backs... Obviously, we're disagreeing here, will be effective. Chris Thompson will be effective. I like what I have seen from Armstead in 2019 and back in college at Temple. I like what I've seen from James Robinson and Divine Exigbo. Uh, so, yeah, I think the offense should be improved compared to what it was last year. And that's not asking for a whole lot. I still like the front seven on the defensive side of the ball. I love Josh Allen, Devon Hamilton, Taven Bryan. Timmy Jernigan rotating in there. I love Joe Schobert and Miles Jack. Joe Schobert has really turned it on in training camp. I think Smoot and Marsh are going to surprise some people on the edge. Uh, and I think Chason has the potential to make an impact down the stretch. The one area I'm really concerned about is the secondary right now. Uh, with Trey Herndon and Tremaine Brock, I think they've been underperforming in camp, to be quite honest, maybe partially due to the excellent wide receiver group. Maybe because they're not that good right now. I'm not sure. I don't know that uh, Jared Wilson and Ronnie Harrison are going to take some massive step at safety. I do think they'll improve some. Obviously, DJ Hayden is the truth at nickel, but sticking Henderson and probably Herndon out there as the top outside cornerbacks, I'm nervous about it based on what I've seen so far. Uh, so I'm still not going to overreact to this news and say that this is a tank job because they dropped four net. But I also don't think this is a team that will win their division. Uh, my Right now, I think my range of outcomes is five to eight wins. Right now, I'm predicting six. I think the only way they make the playoffs is if one of those, if it's one of those seasons where, you know, especially with seven teams making the playoffs, where they get in with seven or eight wins. The only way this team makes the playoffs is if every other starting, starting quarterback in the AFC South breaks a bone. 
<laughs> I, I mean, we cannot be further uh, opposite on our outlook now. And I told you before, we this may be the thing we disagree on the most so far, um, you know, in, in our um, you know time together. I am not going to let myself get excited or worked up or, you know, ready to go on anything regarding this team heading into the season anymore. I've done it too long as a fan. Countless training camps and preseasons, you know, the team looks great. This guy looks great. Everything looks great. They're going to be so improved. Fall flat on your face. It happens consistently. And, you know, especially this offseason with some of the, you know, the moves that have been made, you've definitely been a little bit more positive about them than I have. That's, you know, obviously no secret. We've disagreed on some few things, you know, such as the defensive line. Um, And I think it's going to be hard for the defensive line to, not the defensive line, just defense as a whole to either A, win games, especially when they're seeing their offense not producing much because, you know, I'm I'm really really down on this now. And the offense is not going to be able to, like I talked about the other day, win games for you either. So, I understand there have been some players who showed some promise. I do like Joe Schobert. I think it's a great linebacker, fits our system, fits our scheme. Um, you know, can do a multitude of things. I haven't been too high on the front seven. I know there's some promise there, um, absolutely, but I didn't think it was going to be a, a game changing unit by any means. Um, and now that I see the offense may be even worse than I expected, it really kind of brings down my expectations as a whole. Um, I think your, your ceiling here is five wins, uh, but I think a, a much more realistic floor, uh, you know, is three to four wins. And then, you know, that's, I think I said the other day, um, you know, six or seven wins, um, you know, and I, and I said, make or break would be the playoffs. And I, you know, I didn't think it was that realistic, but I thought that this front office had to get to the playoffs to save their job. I think that's completely out the window. I think this is, let's set ourselves up for next year in the best way we can. Um, it's going to be a new regime. It it is what it is. It's going to be a new regime. So it, you know, it just kind of baffles me the whole way through on some of the moves that have been made with the outlook of the season. But you know what? I can't wait for. I can't wait for Trevor Lawrence to Eli Manning us on draft day and just completely throw this franchise through another loop. Because at this point, anything can happen with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Anything can happen. So if you're so convinced that. There's going to be a new regime next year. How does that make sense for these moves to be being made? These guys are still making money. I mean, I don't, I don't know what. When I say these guys are still making money, I'm talking about Dave Caldwell and and um, Doug Marone, and I just don't believe if they're saying this is what's best for the team. I mean, then why are you saying that there has been no off-the-field issues? This isn't a locker room decision, you know. If it's strictly based off talent, that's BS. And so I just look back at all these other things before, and you know, I say, okay, I may have believed you in this circumstance. You know, we did we want to get younger with with moving Calais? All right, maybe, but you know, is, was he a little expensive? Okay, maybe, but now you've got you know what thirty five million dollars in cap room. That's chump change to what he may have. What is fifteen million this year? That's one of your best players. You keep him, and he's a locker room guy that can help you change the culture. I don't think Clayus Campbell had anything wrong with his locker room culture at all whatsoever. You see a guy like Boye get traded. He seemed like a great locker room guy too. A great captain. A, a great 
leader in the locker room. You know, you still see guys like that, you know, like Chris Conley seems to be the vocal leader of this locker room now, but you're moving pieces that just, it, it doesn't always add up. And it could have been cap at one point, but now after everything, so many moves have been made. It definitely was not about cap. You could have kept a lot of these guys with your cap money. And I think the regime change, I think really Doug and Dave are sitting ducks. You know, I won't be surprised if there's a conversation that, you know, was had behind closed doors saying, listen, I need you as the head of this franchise going forward just for this year, because why fire them to bring in somebody else to waste the year? Why would you do that? You know, set yourself up. It looks like, in my opinion, they're setting themselves up for a position next year to pick at the top of the draft. And they're going to go out once the season's over, probably on Black Monday, wipe everything clean. They'll look for a new staff in a new front office that is going to align with, we're picking Trevor Lawrence, we're building around him, let's go. Firing them last year and bringing in a whole new regime for this year would have only made sense if the team was fully behind Gardner Minshew. And now I don't think they are, but they're not going to come out and say that, you know, no matter what they think, you're not going to come out and say that. And I think the bold face lie today was again, this was not a locker room issue. This was an on the field decision, nothing off the field, nothing in the locker room. Well, we've heard a lot of things about Fournette looking great during camp. And I think he has definitely looked like the best back throughout camp. So you see all these kind of conflicting things add up and just knowing the history, it's really hard to kind of take that and say this team isn't tanking. So you think that Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell are resigned to the fact that they're not going to have jobs last or next year and that they're okay with that? I mean – you can't say that they're not. I know it sounds crazy, but at this point, what does it sound crazy? You know, I, I, I don't <laughs> I mean, know. I don't know if necessarily logic. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I really at this point, you know, if you would have told me last week, a, the Jaguars are going to sign Jadavian Clowney, or b, the Jaguars are going to cut Leonard Fournette, and I heard somebody say this earlier today on the radio, which one would sound crazier? B, the Jaguars are going to cut Leonard Fournette, and that just happened. So now what's and how crazy does it sound that the Jaguars are going to sign Jadavian Clowney? It sounds absolutely insane. So what doesn't sound insane anymore? I couldn't tell you. And a lot of people might not agree with my logic. I understand that. But who says that didn't happen? I'm not saying it did. Maybe Dave and Doug have no idea. This could have came down from even higher up saying, this is the move you got to make. But it wouldn't have made any sense for them to be fired after last year. This year, we know this is going to be a dead, you know, a, a dead, dead, a dead year in the water. They weren't in I any position think, to. I think if if Shad wanted to clean the slate, it's okay to bring in a first year head coach and a first year GM with the expectations that you're not going to win a lot of games in their first year. That's exactly what the Panthers are doing this year. It's okay to do that. Um, I don't understand the idea that you wanted to keep them around for an extra year just so you could have them as the scapegoats after this season. I don't think that Shad Khan is an owner. I know he's not. That's you know making executive decisions. He's too uh, 
too far removed for that type of thing, in my opinion. I really believe that Doug Marone is going all in on what he thinks is going to be best for this team in 2020. I don't know if he's correct. I don't think he's correct. But I think he's doing everything he can to try to win games in 2020. And I don't, and I'm, I'm not saying Leonard Fournette wouldn't help them win games. What I am saying is they were not going to give him the ball as much, and they did not think that that would sit well with him, and they did not want to have that in the locker room. I believe Doug Marone is doing everything he can to win games this year because he doesn't want to get fired. I, that's what I believe. I, I don't think there's any coach out there that is going to accept the idea that they're going to get fired after the season before a season happens. I'll tell you why they didn't bring in a first-year head coach. Because what's the point of bringing that together if it's not for Gardner Minshew? And that's the only thing. I think with the Panthers, you saw it a little differently. They brought the regime in, and then Cam was gone. And they went and got their guy. So I think Matt Rule got his guy and Teddy Bridgewater. Do I agree with that? Probably not. Actually, I know I don't. I'm not going to say probably. I know I don't. I think it was terrible, but that is really the focal point of all, you know, franchise rebuilds. When you see these full rebuilds, they're bringing regimes in when they go and get their guy at the most important position on the field, and that's quarterback. I don't think the I don't team, think Teddy's their guy. He's a bridge. But if he's a bridge, you know, then then I think that with Teddy Bridgewater. You're going to win with the team that's built around him. I think you're going to win more games than you're going to put yourself in the running for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I don't. I don't know they're if they're going to so win. They're young on defense. They got rid of all their defensive players. They got rid of their best offensive linemen. They're a team that I think is in a similar position to the Jaguars, honestly, right now. I don't think they're going to be better than the Jaguars this year. I think this year there wasn't anything to throw away everything for. However, next year, I think there is something to throw away everything for. The most similar situation I could relate this to is with the Colts and the Andrew Luck, the Suck for Luck campaign. And everyone in that locker room will tell you they weren't tanking, but you and I both know they were tanking. Without I think a that doubt. was a lot more obvious. I'm going to be straight up. I but, don't think this is any. This, this could be any less obvious because everything would be banking on Gardner Minshew's success. And do you think the team is putting him in the best situation to succeed? Because I don't. I think he's in a decent situation to succeed. Obviously, we disagree on the offensive outlook. I think with Jay Gruden calling the shots, I think with the receivers they have, including the tight ends, I think the offensive line is a lot better. I do think that the offense is in a decent position. I really do. I just can't let myself get excited about this, especially as, you know, things, you know, keep unwinding for the team. I just can't let myself get excited for this season. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it's just we've seen this before. We've heard this before. I think there was no reason to get a first-year head coach in for what. I mean, I think a lot of these guys – you know, obviously, you saw most of these guys weren't going to be here next year, and they're already all gone. So, what's the point of firing your staff and having to go through all that to bring a staff in that, you know, what if that, what if, you know, they're not the right 
guys for Trevor Lawrence. I think that's going to be the thing is that you're going to have to find a staff that is going to be specifically geared towards and keyed in on your franchise guy, whoever that's going to be. And, you know, there's only two scenarios here. It's the Jags somehow win a few games and, and, and get themselves out of the Trevor Lawrence situation. And then you're probably going to fire Doug and Dave, you know, everyone, the whole nine yards anyway. And if you don't, there's going to be an absolute revolt in the city. Cause I don't think this team is making the playoffs or you lose enough games to where you're going to fire everybody anyway. And you get the second coming of, you know, for lack of a better, I don't want to say Jesus for anybody out there that might offend, but you know, like the you know the, the next football god. You know, we haven't seen a a, a prospect like this in, in forever, and so I you know I think if you're going to restart somewhere, you restart there, and that's just where I'm kind of getting at. I know it all sounds probably a little crazy, but it just wouldn't make any sense to have done it last year. And if you're going to do it again this year anyway, might as well put you in a position to do it with with the greatest prospect we've seen since since Andrew Luck. Um, you know, and since probably 2003 when it comes to the quarterback position. I hear you. I love Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if the football gods are kind enough to grant the Jaguars the number one pick. I think this is a team that's going to win around six games. Could be a little more, could be a little less. Um, I think Doug Marone is absolutely still coaching for his job. I think he's going to do everything he can to win games. And uh, we'll see what happens, obviously. We have different outlooks. Uh, certainly, and I, I think that's exciting. It'll be fun to see how this all plays out. I And don't get me wrong. I'm not out here saying that this is, team is the truth. I'm not saying this is a good football team. I'm saying I don't think Gardner Minshew and this offense, combined with the front seven on the defensive side of the ball, combined with Jay Gruden uh, calling the shots on offense, I don't think that's a a recipe for a team that's picking first overall. Could I be totally wrong? Absolutely. But we will see in less than two weeks how it starts. If the Jaguars go out and beat the Colts in week one, it's going to be a hell of a week. It's going to be a hell of a season in order, or in terms of just like figuring out what the hell's going on. Um, the Jaguars have kept us on our toes all off season. I think they're going to continue to do that. It's it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. From a fan perspective, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're right. Uh, but just from the logical perspective, you know, I just I, I can't see it. I don't well, see. I mean, where- to be honest, I don't know if I hope I'm right. Like, would I rather the Jaguars go six and ten and Shad Khan be like, "Oh well, since we have such a young team, since we had COVID nineteen going on, since we had all this other stuff, six wins is going to be okay," even though last year I said doing the same thing over and over again wouldn't be okay? Or would I rather the Jaguars do terrible, get the first overall pick, and get Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I'd probably rather that. I do like Gardner Minshew. I do think he's a good quarterback, but I'm not going to sit here and say I would rather have him than a generational talent. Uh, So I don't know. I, I don't know which. I think, honestly, your scenario would be better for the franchise as a whole. I think you got to put your chips all in one way or the other. So I think it's really going to become evident real quick. I think there are a lot of holes on the defense and on the offense that we're letting the training camp hype and the optimism cover up for us and kind of blind us to. 
The more I sit down and think about it, the more I think I'm becoming more aware of it. I like Trey Herndon a lot, but is he going to be a guy who's really going to be, you know, one of those guys? Because you're going to have to expect him to be. CJ Henderson's a rookie, so yeah, take that into consideration that we're going to have to expect him to be a number one shutdown guy as a rookie. Um, and that's going to, you know, may cause some concern. Josh Allen is is going to be your bright spot on defense. But again, we're going to have to, you know, if everything wants to fall the right way, Devon Hamilton's going to have to be a game changer. You know, Chase on, and he might be, but it's expecting, you. you're expecting a lot out of people that we haven't seen hit the field yet. We're getting too ahead of ourselves with training camp. We're I'm not, not expecting a lot from Henderson and Herndon, to be clear. And I'm not expecting a lot from Chase on to start either. I scouted Devon Hamilton heavily. I thought he was a first-round pick. I think he has completely proved my theory right. Uh, and obviously he needs to do it on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Doing it during training camp doesn't matter. But I'm just seeing what I'm seeing. I think that front seven is going to play good football. I really do. And – uh It'll be interesting. There's no doubt about it. I'm pumped to see what happens. Um, if you want to get any closing remarks before we wrap it up, you can go ahead and do that now. Yeah, no closing remarks for me. If if you if I keep going, you know, I'll just I'll just keep going. So uh, I think yeah, I've, we could be here all night. <laughs> I think I've made my point. I've said the things I needed to say. The only thing you know, I'll cap this off with is kind of what I was saying before: is you got to go one way or the other. Winning five games does nothing for this franchise winning 10 games and finding finding out that Gardner Minshew is your franchise guy that does a lot for this team and you know and unfortunately as much as it sucks winning two games this year would also do a lot for this team in regards to its future so you've got to be all in one way or the other do I think Doug Marone specifically you know I do not think that he you know maybe the one point the strings on the tank job I don't it's hard to really say that, you know, how, how can he be a coach and be coaching some, you know, a, a team to lose, to tank? So I don't necessarily think it's him, but, um, you know, the, the powers that be are, you know, I think looking at it from the way that we, the we both are. Is it better for this team to do poorly and set themselves up for the future? Or do we really think we have a guy? And that's where my questions come into play is I don't think we're making this decisions that, would be made if we think we have a guy in Gardner Minshew. I love Gardner Minshew. I think he's a great quarterback, and and he deserved the chance to prove what he could do, but I don't think he's getting the best opportunity to do so. And so if he does come out and win 10 games, it's going to be an absolute party. I'll be absolutely flabbergasted, and it's going to show you that if a guy can win 10 games with that, then think about what he can do with a strong roster around him, and then he can start building. But it's either one way or the other. Middle ground is going to get this franchise nowhere. Yeah, and that's exactly where the Jaguars have generally been. You know, five to six wins. That's the typical Jaguars season. That leaves you in the middle. Like you said, you're not picking the playoffs. You're not getting the top overall picks. You're just right there in the middle, and you stay there. So that's going to do it for the show. I think we had a great conversation today. I really appreciate you, Jeremy. I know we don't agree on the outlook for the season, even though, I mean, you're looking at about, I guess, three to four wins is what you're predicting. I'm predicting six, but I do see the potential for seven, eight wins. 
because I do believe in Gardner Minshew. I do believe in the wide receivers, tight ends. I think the O-line will be a little better. And I think the front seven will be able to make a lot of plays on defense. So that's going to do it for the show. Again, thanks to all of our listeners. Thank you, Jeremy. I think this has been awesome. Uh, Let us know y'all's thoughts on Twitter. I'd love to hear what everybody has to say. I know a lot of people have already been interacting with us on Twitter. Uh, Follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski. Follow myself at Jordan DeLugo. And follow Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, Duval. We love you. Have a blessed day.